Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Colin Curtis and Isaiah Archer, two of the founders of the Whistleboy Brewing Company located in Victoria, BC, Canada. In just two short years, they built a raving fan base and have been quick on their feet to pivot throughout the pandemic. Today, we'll be diving into how they've successfully bootstrapped and grown their microbrewery and brew pub in one of the most challenging times for the industry and how they're looking to kick the crap out of 2021. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? We're great. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. How are you doing, Colin? Good, thank you. Awesome. So I love starting these uh, these podcasts with um, what, what I call like a little bit of a value rocket. And the way I, the way I tease that out is is by asking each of you uh, what sh- what you'd say your particular area of expertise is, and then one thing about that area that you wish you had learned years ago. <laughs> hmm. I'll start there, Kyle. Um, my area of expertise in our little brewery down here is hospitality and customer service. Uh, I've worked in hospitality industry the majority of my adult life um, in everything from breweries to fine dining to dive bars. Um, I, I really enjoy it and I'm happy to be part of that with Whistlebuoy. If I could have learned something when I started that I know now, I'd probably say that there is no right way to do it. I think being genuine and doing things your way and things that speak true to you uh, is always a good path. Awesome. Awesome. Um, how about you, Isaiah? Yeah, I'm uh, the marketing department, <laughs> pretty small group. So I kind of take care of anything to do with marketing brand um, and also retail. Um, so I've got couple of years experience in retail management. Um, so that's, yeah, everything to do with our social media and our website and kind of the way things look, uh, the look and feel of the brand and the physical space is sort of my realm. Um, I'm learning a lot as I go right now. I don't have a ton of formal experience in marketing. So um, there's so many things <laughs> that I wish I, I knew um, before kind of diving in, um, just, but that being said, I think it's, it's really a good opportunity to be able to learn by doing, um, similar to Colin, like there's not necessarily a right way, obviously there's best practices and there's good techniques and there's ways of being more effective. Um, but it really does come down to just staying true to the, the, the concept and, and, uh, believing in the concept and, you know, having confidence in that, that it's sound and, and just kind of committing to, to being able to show up every day and, and just try things and, and fail and learn and, and just move forward every day. For sure. Yeah. I'm, um, you know, to be totally honest, I think that you guys, um, you know, we're, we, we all live in, in Victoria, right? So I think that uh, you guys are really ahead of the curve when it comes to to marketing. So, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, you don't have any formal training or anything like that, um, you know, just just kudos. It's it's really uh, it's really impressive. I um I wanted to uh, to just would you guys just give us the Coles Notes backstory of 
of how Whistlebuoy uh, came to be. I know there, there are five of you uh, who are in partnership together. Could you just kind of break that story down for us? For sure. So yeah, a um, couple of years ago now, um, myself, Ewan, who's another one of our partners, um, more involved in operations and, and kind of like the, the build out aspect and, and sort of the, part of the, the, the finances of the company as well, uh, as well as Matt, who's our brewer. Um, we're all kind of, uh, had met just through different friends of friends around town had similar interests. We were all pretty interested in, in free diving and spear fishing and just kind of like outdoor adventures, uh, on Southern Vancouver Island on the weekends. So we'd kind of gone on a few trips together and Matt had been, uh, professionally brewing for a few years and was sort of thinking about the possibilities in the industry as far as how things could be done differently from a lot of the more production focused breweries that we see that are regional or national in scale kind of thinking as a brewer wouldn't it be awesome to be able to be a little bit more creative and be able to do different beers like launch several beers each month and not have to be tied to those sort of constraints of having a whole bunch of regular beers that are you know always in front of a customer on the on store shelves so thinking about that taproom model uh and and kind of looking into that i had some formal experience in the beer industry at phillips as well um so yeah we were all just kind of like spending time together in the outdoors and, and and chatting about the possibilities of what sort of the future of this industry could be and realized that there was an opportunity in front of us where the city of victoria was now opening it up to allow lounges um breweries with lounge endorsements. So you don't have to be um, a production brewery. You can exist in downtown Victoria and have a retail component. It's actually required. Um, but yeah, we, we'd sort of seen some of the breweries in Vancouver, for instance, Brassneck is kind of probably the leading brewery in the province. As far as this model was, I think it was the first one to really show that a taproom brewery in an urban environment was something that was feasible and, and also like did really, really well. Um, so kind of getting some inspiration and seeing that that model hadn't, hadn't come to Victoria, but Victoria was such a, a beer city and such a, a, a ripe market for, for some, some innovation in this space. So, um, that's kind of how it all started and then kind of put some numbers together and realized that actually this is a great time to, to potentially do something like this. And, um, the more we talked to people at the city and other brewery owners and um, some banks kind of realized that, yeah, we could, we could make this work. So kind of got the business plan together and further down that process, we realized that we were actually going to, we were missing some, some skills in the group um, as far as definitely running a busy front of house establishment <clears throat> and also some missing some, some money. So uh, needed to raise some more cash and bring in some more people and, we, I've known Colin and Nina for a very long time um, and they were sort of thinking about making a move out West anyway. So started having conversations with them and just the timing worked out for, for everyone's career to, to join up and, and do this together. And, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all started, I guess. Yeah. It makes sense. Seems, seems like the, uh, the perfect storm. Um, totally. 
There's actually one thing that you touched on that really piqued my curiosity, which was that you noticed that uh, particularly in Victoria, the industry, the beer industry was ripe for innovation. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, why, why you saw that, what it was you saw about the industry that, you know, um, made it seem right to you and, and how do you approach, uh, innovation when it comes to beer and, and, you know, the micro, uh, brewery experience and all, all that stuff. Could you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, for sure. I mentioned I worked at Phillips. Um, Phillips is def definitely a huge leader in our industry as far as um, just showing that having a craft brewery culturally can do so much for a city. Um, there are so many local people that have been hired by that company and <clears throat> all the epic events that they've had over the years with the, the weekender, the backyard weekender and <clears throat> big supporters of Rifflandia and and all those really sort of big festivals and, and things that happened in, in Victoria. Um, and they just always seem to be at the center of it. And so, yeah, they, they've definitely been a leader um, and, and they've grown uh, immensely over the last 20 years. And they're now, you know, selling in a couple of different countries and definitely all across Canada. And, um, so, yeah, they're just huge. And I think a lot of, a lot of people that have started breweries, like in the last 10 years or so have kind of tried to compete at that level that definitely regional scale production size production style brewery. It's all about, you know, getting on store shelves, um, getting in a lot of different stores. And so that sort of wholesaling model. Um, and that was kind of just what was happening, uh, in the industry in BC anyway. Um, and seeing that like, in some American cities like Seattle and Portland and also then in Vancouver that like craft beer actually had a completely different, um, there was a, just a different side to it that we weren't really seeing here. Um, so knowing that there was a really, a really rich history in craft beer in Victoria, obviously not just Phillips and it goes back to, to Paul Hadfield at Spinnakers and, um, the folks over at Swans and, um, obviously Driftwood and Hoyne and all the other breweries that have, that have opened uh, in Victoria, but really having a true taproom model wasn't really happening in town. Um, so for us, it was, how can you really focus on that, like the cultural side of, of what craft beer uh, represents? And we weren't really finding that there was any breweries at the time that were, I would say, culturally relevant to people of our demographic. Um, of course, Phillips and Driftwood and Hoyne and all those breweries are awesome, but you know, a lot of those in, in Vancouver Island and I won't, I'm going to miss some. So anyway, <laughs> um, a lot of them, I would say do appeal to a slightly older audience. Um, so just like sort of the millennial generation of people now, you know, do, do have income and. Um, are looking for things to do and, and uh, are, are a huge subset of, of consumers. And I didn't really see a lot of examples of breweries that were meeting those people's needs specifically. So definitely there was that. Um, it was like that there's definitely an opportunity for, for some, some newness there and um, just some, some fresh ideas. 
And then also on the other side of it, just to not be a distribution brewery, I think was kind of a novel concept. Um, Cause obviously all those other breweries, it's all about volume for them. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, it was like not about volume. It's about focusing in on the product and just having fun with it and wanting to be trying new things every day. Um, it's kind of like an old school way of doing it, but um, you know, you can maintain those margins that way and be a direct to consumer business and not do any wholesaling that kind of allows you to make enough money to just um, stay small and, and really focus on like the product and the everyday experience. Um, yeah. So that's probably a pretty roundabout way of answering that question, but yeah, I love it. It's 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 actually a perfect segue because uh, Colin, you know, from from our earlier conversations, um, you know, you're really focused on the product. You're you're focused on you know from the beer itself to the in-house experience, and um, you know, you and I go back to to our time at you know Canoe um, and um, here in Victoria, and uh, you have a super deep um, you have a deep experience in the industry, and so I'm really curious about any insights that you have, um, you know, that you've learned from, you know, going from a super experienced person in the service industry to now, um, you know, an owner and entrepreneur in the industry and just any insights around, you know, developing that experience, that product. Um, could you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So I've, I had some experience in, in pretty much every aspect of hospitality and my experience in the craft beer industry was mostly with the brew pub model, such as canoe, like you mentioned, where we work together or a swans or moon underwater spinnakers where they have, they produce beer on site um, and, and they have a full restaurant they have a full menu, full kind of table service um, or the other model that Isaiah talked about, which is kind of the production distribution model before for myself personally, I had never really heard of our model before Wasabui, which was a manufacturer with the lounge endorsement with no kitchen. So for me, it was it was a cool experience um, and a cool, sorry, a, a, an exciting opportunity to kind of be part of something new like that. I had never really seen that or, or been a part of that in hospitality. So that was really exciting. Um, and from transitioning, it's, I mean, using the word word simple is probably not the way I want to go, but it, it does kind of just um, allow us to focus on on really particular aspects. And and for me, that is like you're saying, the product. So Matt makes incredible beer um, that kind of sells itself. It's pretty easy. And then the the atmosphere, um, you know, for me, it's really important. I get made fun of here because they call me the light guy because I'm just always really really on everyone with turning down you know the lights. So those little things make a big difference to me. Um, and I always knew that I'd, I'd want to work for myself. I didn't really under, know how or when that would happen. So when, you know, when I got the call to be part of Wissabooie, it was definitely the right timing. Um, and it's, it's been a really fun opportunity using those skills that I, that I learned throughout my hospitality experience um, in an ownership role. Um, I mean, obviously the team we have is, is amazing and, and, you know, we, we all work together, but it's been, um, it's been a really, really fun and interesting experience. That's for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, you, I, you know, I think that like oftentimes people make it too complicated. And so I think that, you know, having that focus on, on simple is, uh, it's, it's, it's actually really good. And I think that if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna screw something up in your business, you, you don't want to screw up the basics. Like those are the things you want to get right. So yeah. I just ha- I think having that relentless focus on it makes really good sense. Um, I, 
I'd love to take a step back here. Um, and, uh, you know, I could, could you give us a little bit of a dirt? Uh, could you get like, what have been your most painful mistakes? Uh, yeah. Could just, just hit us with some, some blunders. I feel like, I, I feel like every day I'm making a mistake and learning from it. So it's, it's hard to pick the biggest ones. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I back to the simplicity that's always been, a bit, a huge part of the concept. It's, it's a counter service model. It's built for speed. It's built for volume. Um, but it's also built for the, every person in the space getting, getting access to a, a quality experience and, and quality products. So when you do keep it that simple, you know, I feel like the, the fuck ups are maybe a little less intense <laughs> mm. because there's, there's just less moving parts. There's less, um, there's less going on. Like, um, honestly, we're so young still. So I'm sure a lot of our, our big mistakes are ahead of us. Um, but a lot of things has just been like kind of getting some bumps and bruises, learning how to operate during the pandemic. I would say, um, but I'll, 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 you know, give us a bit of a pass on that because it's just been really hard to figure things out every day. There's a new challenge that comes your way. Um, I think one, one aspect of the front of house was kind of what I started with was like, there's no right way to do it. So I had all these kind of preconceived notions of what, what service should be and what systems I should use and, and, and how that, how that looks um, when in fact, because this is a new model, you know, especially for running in front of house, like it didn't, it didn't need to be complicated. I, I didn't need to have uh, a different POS and, and then a different payment solution and all this stuff. I could kind of have one all, all encompassing simplified version of it, which is kind of what we're in the process of doing now, actually with switching our system. So I think kind of just um, being able to, to, to not overcomplicate things, you know, I think that's at least personally, I did that a little bit at the start. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I, I would say like, honestly, we're probably just pretty optimistic people and a pretty optimistic business and just very like, um, you know, onto the next thing, like mistakes happen and, and we have the, the privilege and the ability to, to be able to go through that and, and, uh, you know, have the trust with the partners around us that, um, it's all good. Like as long as you come back the next day with a good effort, then it's all good. Um, so I'm sure we've made a ton of mistakes. Like right now we're, we're Colin and I are both redoing, our main sort of um, sales system. So the whole front of house POS and payment processing system is getting re revamped. And it's like, well, we could have seen that as a mistake by going, going with someone else that didn't actually truly meet our, our growth needs from the, from the start. But, you know, it's just, we just didn't know certain things. And so it was just like, we'll just try it and it doesn't work. And so try something else. And so I would say it's just kind of, and the same thing with our website, like I chose the wrong platform and now we've kind of paid for it a little bit. What and was the platform? <laughs> uh, we're just outing companies. Um, it just didn't so, work. Well, it didn't work. So I, I was, I was on Squarespace when we started um, mm -hmm. and just kind of found that since the pandemic hit um, e-commerce became a really important thing for our business. And mm -hmm. uh, within and a Canadian e-commerce company, uh, they didn't necessarily have the right um, applications and, and systems 
sort of on the back end that were going to help us do that at a really high level. Um, so we've just, yeah, we've switched our whole site over um, to Shopify, mm -hmm. which obviously a ton of retailers do. Um, mm -hmm. But even so, I would say like, we don't, we don't know for certain that that's going to be the best system moving forward. Um, Cause we do have different needs beyond e-commerce as well. Um, as far as just making it a sort of like an, an info about us um, kind of brand website as well. So, um, and we still have two different systems that aren't fully integrated on our, on our online system and our front of house, just because it seems like the tech hasn't quite caught up or, or the platforms haven't really looked at restaurant as a, as an e-commerce business, yeah. which I know is rapidly changing right now. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, a, a big, a big, um, objective of this, of this podcast is to help, uh, to help restaurateurs, uh, sort of, uh, propel themselves into the era of technology that we're in, but many of them are still, you know, a few years, a few years behind. So, you know, I, it's not really about like calling out a, uh, tech company that's bad. It's just like they're, they have different strengths, right? Like Squarespace is, it'll help you make like a really nice looking site really fast. Um, but Shopify has that, you know, deep backend, uh, e-commerce cap capabilities, not to mention all the, the plugins that you can sort of, um, put in there to make it more robust. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, th I think that, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to now dive in. Well, first of all, one thing that was super impressive about you guys uh, during the pandemic is you guys were really quick on your feet, you know, like, like, I think you, you right away, you had beer delivery and then you had like a whistle buoy car. Um, and you know, like the content that you put out there is, um, it's, it's very, it's very different, you know? And I think that that, that leaves quite an, an imprint on, uh, on, you know, the market. Um, I would love to hear really quickly, um, about the pivots that you think made the most impact uh, throughout the, the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just about a year ago, we're now in March again, <laughs> when this whole thing kind of started. Um, yeah, we didn't, this wasn't even really on our radar, like most people, like you heard a few things happening in the news, but it didn't really seem like that, a huge threat. And then all of a sudden it was all anyone was talking about. And then the next week we were not allowed to operate anymore. Our whole business model is about customers coming in sitting in the space. And that was, you know, prohibited. So um, as a new business with a ton of debt and young business, like people that um, it was just kind of like, okay, like here, here's what we can't do. We've been told what we can't do by the government and for obvious health reasons that, it just, it was what it was. Um, so focus on what we can do. Um, failure was not an option. I think a lot of people and small business owners uh, think that way. It's just thinking about how bad everything is, isn't going to solve anything really. So it was just like, okay, our, our new creative constraints are, they've been set. And so what can we do? We do have beer. We do have a way of putting it into a can. We do have customers that have told us they want to buy it. Um, let's get it to them. And so it was just kind of like all hands on deck. Unfortunately, we had to let go of most of our staff, but, uh, thankfully, um, they were, you know, sort of taken care of with, with some, uh, 
government subsidies and and things like that and and also we have a pretty deep ownership team that uh was able to be here every day of the week kind of just doing what we needed to do to survive um i remember the first day that we that we decided that we were going to do delivery we everyone biked down we brought every vehicle that any anyone had yeah. and we ended up borrowing isaiah's parents e-bike as well so we had every possible delivery method um just we had like skateboards we had <laughs> yeah. electric bikes regular bikes and like a couple of cars yeah so you know there was nothing going to stop us getting greater the people um, which was which was fun that's awesome um well okay and so now now here we are uh 2021 um about a year out i'd love to hear about what you know what Mark, what does marketing look like this year? Like what's, um, what initiatives are you excited to, uh, take advantage of to, you know, just grow as much as you possibly can this year? Yeah. Yeah. I think the main, the, the absolute main thing for us is word of mouth marketing. A lot of people will say that in marketing that it's the, it's the best form of marketing you'll ever get is someone having a great experience going home, telling their friend and their friend, you know, is going to go to that place that their their best friend that they have a lot of trust with and rapport just said you should you got to check this out like so for us i think the the actual customer experience and that consistency being open every day making sure that you know the beer is always good the draft setup is always clean and and getting looked after and that uh, everyone who walks to the door is being treated with respect and has a positive experience and then having those sort of return customers and that word of mouth, I would say that'll always be our strongest form of marketing. Um, so long as we're able to have people in our seats. And then after that, you go to the more conventional forms of marketing, which I think is really hard to plan for right now. Um, obviously like no one knows when borders are going to open or when travel restrictions are going to lift. We happen to be in the center of downtown Victoria, which is just a complete hotbed for tourism, as we all know, um, which was a huge draw for why we were, were really excited to be in this location. Um, yeah, summer 2019, we saw even just folks walking off those cruise ships, walking straight down government, um, kind of just stumbling upon us. That, that was like a huge you know, source of revenue for us. Um, so <laughs> whenever those folks do come back from wherever they're coming from, um, this answer will kind of change. So right now, just kind of trying to identify what is it like we've been surveying some of our, our um, top customers and trying to understand from their perspective, what is it about the brand and the space and the beer that keeps them coming back? Um, so I won't assume that we know all of those answers yet because we're still kind of in that process. Um, and then trying to use some of that information to identify how we can uh, improve for prospective customers in the future. There's definitely a lot of folks in, I would say, Western Canada, kind of between the ages of 20 and 40, that if they're going to go traveling out West, they'll probably come to, to Victoria on their way to Tofino or, or um, you know, Port Renfrew or wherever it may be. Um, and when they're in Victoria, they're, they're going to seek out a craft beer experience because I think we've seen the industries kind of exploding all over the place. Um, and it's just kind of one of those things that people that like craft breweries are going to go check them out wherever they are. And we see apps like un, untapped and, and things like that, that kind of show that, that, that to be true. 
Um, so yeah, just trying to understand when those people are in their kind of dream phase of, of planning their potential trips whenever it's appropriate to do so. How do we kind of show up for those people when they're starting to look at um, what their West Coast adventure trip is going to look like? Um, so obviously that has to do with, with uh, ad campaigns on Google um, and, and just, you know, showing up and understanding what the search terms are that those people are looking at. And when people are planning trips, um, what other activities are they doing? And then um, obviously there's some retargeting as far as social and um, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. So pretty conventional things like that. Um, and just making sure that our, our, our site, like our, you know, we're building out some blogs and things like that for the person in uh, that's coming to Victoria that doesn't know this city very well, kind of like an insider's guide to some of the, the best things to do uh, in our, in our opinions. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so, you know, just rolling out a few, a few more little tactics like that and, and uh, making sure that the content is just solid and consistent across all those platforms. And, and it all comes back to the experience that a person has in the tap room. Cause ideally everything we're, we're putting out to the world from a marketing perspective is just reflecting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. In the, in the hospitality department, I think I've personally felt, and I'm sure that tons of other business owners, especially, um, you know, bar and restaurant owners have, uh, have been feeling the same. I feel like my hands have kind of been tied behind my back as, as, um, as far as the COVID restrictions goes, you know, things like beer dinners and events and live music and all that stuff is completely, completely shut down. And, and that is such a cool way to promote your space. And, you know, like we used to do comedy shows in the brewery, which were, which were super fun and really successful. And, you know, we can't do those anymore. Um, and I kind of went through a phase personally of being like frustrated with it and just kind of like throw, throw my hands up in the air, like, okay, whatever, screw it. Um, but then you have to kind of check yourself and say, okay, like Isaiah did, sorry, like he said, we did um, in the first place is like, well, I can't do this, but what can I do? Um, so for us, it's like still, you know, bringing that fun atmosphere, bringing cool, exciting things without necessarily throwing an event or having music in our space. So it's kind of finding ways to, we, you know, we posted our online playlist, um, things like that, because people always, uh, always are asking, you know, what music we're playing and just kind of bring that, bring our atmosphere back home and keeping people talking about us and, 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 you know, listening to the same music that they would in the tap room, um, you know, doing blogs and podcasts, like Isaiah was talking about. And just, uh, you know, there's, there's never, um, there's never not something you can do. So I think uh, being able to just kind of get creative with it and and still have fun, even even this kind of time. Yeah, totally. I, I love that idea. Um, you know, um, of of expanding that experience that you're creating beyond just the four walls. Whether it's you know through your your content, um, your social, uh, your playlist. That's a really I think um, a creative way to to do that and. Um, and get more, more mileage out of, out of your marketing in general. I'm curious, uh, do you, when it so for example, that, that, that blog, uh, do you guys just all collaborate on that together and, and create it that way? Or, or how, what does the content creation process look like for you guys? To be honest, I'm doing that right now. It's actually, it's not even live. We're like, um, kind of probably about a week away from launch from our, our, our next iteration of our site. Um, so the first one of those will be, will be up within a week. <laughs> so really what that looks like right now is uh, everyone's been pretty busy and has, has their own things to do. So I kind of take it, do it to the best of my ability. Then I'm going to 
kind of run it past the team. What am I missing here? Like what? So for instance, I'm doing one right now. That's um, like the top five takeout spots within a five minute walk from the brewery. Uh, and it's just highlighting the fact that you can bring your own food. That's cool. Um, that we're surrounded by Epic food establishments and we don't, we don't have a kitchen, so that's not our, our expertise, but there's a lot of really amazing places that, that do make great food. And a lot of them don't even have dining right now. Um, so it's just kind of highlighting, okay, we're in this place where you can bring your food. There's a ton of amazing little restaurants around us. Um, and so, and they're all within walking distance and then you can bring your food back and, and, and enjoy it with a beer. So yeah, right now it's just kind of, uh, highlighting some of those things. And so I'm just kind of taking a stab at it. I'll run it past the crew. What am I missing? Um, and then I'll just go from there, but it usually kind of goes to, to myself with, with those types of things and collaborate with whoever it makes sense to do. For instance, I'm going to do one as well about, um, some of the farms that we work with, um, to harvest some of our ingredients. So I'll be working with Matt for that because Matt's our brewer and he has the, the formal relationships with those farmers. And, um, and then we'll, honestly, there's, there's so many opportunities for different blog topics. So it'll just kind of be about identifying what's the right time of year to do which one of them, uh, and then working with whichever member of the team makes sense to do it with. Um, but we're in very, very early stages of this. So, um, I would say that's part of like our, our maturing process as a business and actually having, actually having the time now to, to focus on stuff like that. Cause before, like everyone was in the tap room all the time, we were all always all hands on deck. No one had time to do anything other than serve customers. Uh, so we're kind of like maturing a little bit that way. Totally. I love that. And I love that idea of, of giving, uh, giving people a look under the hood, you know, like your relationships with farmers and stuff like that, I think is, is super cool. Um, so just uh, just before, I just got two two questions here to uh, to, to wrap up. One is, um, what advice would you give to other restaurateurs right now? They could be young; they could just be getting started. What advice would you give them to um, to help them unlock more profit in their in their business? Mm. Yeah, I mean. I think for us, it's always come, come back to simplicity and, and, um, consistency. And so like, and quality. So those are kind of some, like some, some keywords I would say, like really, really inform everything we do. Um, so like if Colin's getting, doing a feature cocktail over a weekend, like that cocktail can't take a bartender more than, 30 seconds to a minute to make. If it does, it's like flies in the face of our, our model, which is built for speed. Um, but everything about it has to be high quality. All the ingredients that are going into it have to be high quality and, 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 and it has to be consistent. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna do one at one level, you have to do everything at that level. How you do anything is how you do everything kind of is, is, is what we like, how we like to say it. So I think those have been some like tenets for us that have, have really helped inform a lot of our decision-making. It's just like, personally, I get annoyed when 
you go to a business and their hours are different every day or like they're closed two random days of the week and you show up there and you've like had them in in your mind for half an hour and then you go there and you like don't get the experience so for us like being consistent as far as we're open every day from noon to 10 it's yeah. just you just we just are unless yeah. it's like christmas day <laughs> you know um so little things like that i think just help make it easier for for customers to not even have to think twice like are they going to be open like is my experience going to be solid um yeah yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like eliminating that cognitive load that like just that little bit of friction where places that have variable hours and you're like you're like oh you get excited for a second then you're like oh shit are they are they going to be open and it's just like it kind of like it tires you out in a subtle way and so it just yeah i think that makes great sense yeah Uh, and I understand why people have to do it. Like this is, this is a hard industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not a restaurant. We're a, we're a brewery with a tap room, you know? So we're, we're a little different. We don't have to go through having staffing a full kitchen every time we're open and like okay. things like that. So totally. I also think, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky in, in our, in our five, five teammates here. Like we each kind of have our own unique set of skills and, and, and experiences, but if you don't have a, have a big team like we do, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, don't, don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. If you don't, if you're not a social media guy, get someone to do it for you. If you're not a cocktail guy, get, you know, get, get someone to come in and consult for you, like, you know, whatever it may be. And I think, I think a lot of, um, restaurateurs and, and entrepreneurs, like try to try to do it all themselves. And, um, I, I, I don't see, how that possible how that would be possible in in our scenario you know so um just yet you know don't be afraid to ask for help and um don't don't try to do it all yeah yeah and it's like about building something that's going to be sustainable something that lasts you know a brand that lasts in a in a in a an establishment that lasts you know we're we're looking at 10-year sort of time timelines usually um and because a we get to this is our career. We get to like choose what we do every day, which is amazing. Um, but you do see a, a decent amount of turnover in hospitality in this city. And I would imagine a lot of cities right now. Um, so it's just kind of like, how, how are, is what you're doing sustainable? I think that's always a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, it's really easy to get burnt out. We all know. Um, so having, having a diverse, a team with diverse skill sets, I think has been super helpful and having, having a team with multiple people with skin in the game uh, has also, I think been a huge asset for us. Um, everyone has something to lose <laughs> and everyone has a different skill. So I think that that really helps just make sure that all the different details are kind of getting looked after on a regular basis. And you can kind of trust that things are, are, are getting done, even if you're not doing them. I get that question all the time is, is when, when I'm explaining the business to someone, I say, Oh, five people, like, that's insane. Like five friends, like, why would you ever get in a business with your friends and why five of them? But, um, I, I don't, I look at that as, as the key to our success and definitely not, um, a mistake in any ways or anything like that. And, um, again, like we're lucky to have the people that we do, but, um, if you, if you don't, then try to find us somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Um, Okay, guys, final question here. Uh, let's say you got a big fan, uh, a big Whistleboy fan uh, who's loaded and wants to give you, just give you like $25,000 to grow your business. 
where do you put that $25,000? Can we make it 50? <laughs> yeah, let's make it 50. 50. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, there's, we're always, well, we're, we're currently in the, the midst of an expansion and there's just always little things around, around the tap room that always need fixing and upgrading and that kind of stuff. I mean, I think potentially yeah. for me, uh, I mean, you can spend that kind of money in marketing and real quick, uh, just with ad spend and, and that kind of thing. But, um, uh, our patio, like as far as like really making our patio epic, mm-hmm. uh, over the long term, that would be something that I think we would love to invest some money in if we had that money overnight, just being able to kind of do a more permanent, um, structure that you could kind of remove in the summer and have in the winter we have a tent right now and it's working great but um probably not gonna have that tent in 10 years from now so investing in like what the the long-term best option would be for having that patio functioning at at its highest level all year round victoria's always been patio crazy but you know with with the current climate it's it's tenfold so um, i'm down with putting it toward the patio yeah (laughs) Awesome guys. Well, thank, thank you so much. Um, where, where should people go to, uh, to, to learn more about what you're up to and maybe buy some of your stuff? Yeah. Whistleboybrewing.com. Um, and it's B U O Y. So it's the nautical float. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or yeah, at whistleboybrewing on Instagram. Those are probably the, the two places I would, I would love to direct people. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thanks so much guys. Thank you, Kyle. We appreciate it. Thanks, man.